Hey, Steve. Hey, good morning to you, Chris. Uh, it's good afternoon here. How you doing? Doing okay. I uh, had a day yesterday where I felt really unshifted, and it's funny, after a good night of sleep, I feel mm. grounded, I feel connected, I feel calm, and just eight hours of sleep just solved all my problems. So <laughs> I can't complain. How mm. are you doing? Um, yeah, I've been a, been a pretty... A pretty challenging couple of weeks actually. Um, I'm about to just go on a um, go, go on a nice long extended period of leave, which I'm kind of really looking forward to. Um, so just tying stuff off and think things are a little bit busy, but um, um, but yeah, it's um, yeah, it's kind of okay. I mean, it's you know, I, I, I'm really grateful for this program because if I was facing what I've been facing last few weeks without this program, I, I know where I would have been at least, or I can. I can reference my kind of behavior and how I would have been. Not that I get it perfect, but I, I don't, you know, it, there's a lot of progress, I think, in the last kind of couple of years, which is uh, really down to this program. And, um, you know, li- life continually throws us new new curveballs so that we can keep learning, I think, this stuff. So, um, but, um, but yeah, but I, I, had a, I had a topic that I, um, uh, that we kind of discussed that I, would, I, I thought would be really kind of nice to kind of bring in and introduce for for this session which is which is around the three circles and i think it's uh the reason why is it's just uh i've been actually reviewing a lot of the three circles you know bottom lines which is the inner circle the middle the middle circle and then the outer circle with uh quite a few fellows recently um as part of some step exchange work but also with sponsees and potential sponsees and um it's just one of those things, actually, that I, I, I haven't actually changed my bottom line since I came into recovery, um, since, since I kind of like set it and got sober. It's, it's, I've had the same bottom line. In fact, I've got one bottom line, which is probably unusual. Um, most people have multiple. And I'd just forgotten that when you're new in the program or you're figuring this stuff out for the first time, there's a ton of questions on it. And I think as well... SAA has its own uh, has its own complexity that I guess it brings in because we have these circles, right? Like, and people go, "What's this middle circle? And when, when should be something being a middle circle versus a bottom line?" And you know, in other in other fellowships, it's it's very black and white, and with substances, it's very black and white, and it's binary. And in sexaholics uh, anonymous, I think they just everyone has the same bottom line. It's consistent for everyone. There's no ambiguity, and we don't have that in SAA. And I think SLA doesn't have it either. I think you can choose your own bottom line. So no, I, I think it's worth the discussion. Yeah, I think SLA has them defined for you as well. I think that's I, I read up on this the other day. <laughs> in another context and it's i think that's what made saa saa from mm. saa and S, slaa was the fact that they had those middle the inner middle mm. and outer circle like you defined your sobriety and how you're going to get out of it sort of yeah yeah and, and i think i think it's really interesting because <clears throat> part of part of defining a bottom lines when you're drunk in lust is, is I think is actually really hard in of itself. And I hadn't really reflected on like, you know, no wonder people find this difficult and no wonder the, the green book recommends, Hey, like do this with a sponsor and don't just change them of your own accord because guess what? Like you might not be the most calibrated person about yourself (laughs) and not healthy in this moment, you know? So, um, yeah. So, sorry, excuse me. Um, so I, I, I guess the first thing I should 
probably lead and open with is that um, I'm going to caveat a lot here, right? Like this is a personal opinion from my experience working, you know, with with people and also how how my bottom lines were set and defined. Um, it is not definitive. It is not the only way to do it. And if you've got a set of bottom lines which are different for you and you, and they work for you, then or your sponsor has a different perspective, or yeah. That's absolutely fine. Um, I'm just offering a perspective and just sharing my experience of how certain bottom lines have worked and haven't worked and how my brain thinks about this stuff, right? So I just want to caveat that, right? Because I like this. I don't think there's a right way or like uh, a right and a wrong way to do this. I think it's just a, what works and what's helpful, right? Uh, so that, that's kind of like my caveat. Um, and I guess what I would probably start with is like the, the inner circle and the bottom lines. Um, I, th- I think we're really confusing straight away. We have two names for the same thing, <laughs> which is so that, 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 that trips people up straight away. They go, is your inner circle the same as your bottom lines? It's like, yes, it is. Um, so it's like, okay, why don't they just call it one thing? You know, um, I don't know. Um, I didn't write the book. So uh, so I think that's the first thing as a clarity. Um, and then the other thing is that there are, when, I, when I review bottom lines with sponsees, um, one of the things that I, there are two things I kind of, I tend to look for. One is uh, areas of ambiguity. And uh, and the reason why I think that's important is that my addict uh, goes, as soon as I, I've got a dark room, right? And I go into that room and it's like, I'm going to shine a light in there here, right? Because my addict's hiding out. So I turn the light on and my addict runs off into the corners and it runs into the shadows and it hides off in all the marginal areas. And it's those areas of ambiguity, those gray areas, which if they're not clear, in my experience, that's where the addict hides out because it doesn't want to give any, it doesn't want to give this stuff up, and it 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 exploits those gray areas. Um, and so I'm always looking for areas of ambiguity. And for me, when you have a um, when you have a behavior that is in your inner circle or bottom line, it's a relapse. Like, and then so if you're if if it's unclear to yourself or to someone else listening to that bottom line, going, I know exactly. Oh, I give you a scenario. Did you did you relapse or not? If it's not clear, then like that's just going to get exploited. I, that, that's been my experience, certainly with my addict and, and other, I'm working with others. And the second one is, I'm also got my little kind of spider antennae, my little radar, so to speak, looking for other examples of. And if I use like maybe alcoholism. Uh, other examples of people saying, um, I'm going to stop drinking spirits, but wine and beer is okay. Or low alcohol beer, as long as it's less than 5%, that's okay, isn't it? I'm looking for those kind of cases where the addict is still in the driving seat. The addict's still getting a kickback from something. There's a bit of lust going on. and But it's, well, it's okay because it's just low alcohol beer. So those are the kind of the two main areas that I'm looking at when I'm looking at bottom lights in aggregate. And it's interesting because I think that's where we already start to differ a bit and how we look mm-hmm. at it. So from your point of view, like I, if anyone's read the blue book, you got the beer experiment, which I think you're referring to, right? But lust is a bit different. There is good lust and there is bad lust. And I spoke to, probably going to get more onto this a little bit later, but I spoke to a fellow a while ago that helped me completely redefine my bottom lines. And he was like, anything that implodes your life probably exists there. I was like, oh, which means that things might come and go. Now, but certain things are always going to be there, right? Certain things are always not okay. But there can be things I can do with my partner, which previously, say, wasn't 
okay on my own. That's now okay with someone else because it's an intimate activity. It's fun. It's a fun type of lust, but it's not something you do all the time. It's not overindulgence. It's not you do it all day, every day. It doesn't impact work. It doesn't impact your relationship. It doesn't impact friends. It doesn't impact your meetings. It doesn't impact all those other important bits. So I know you talk a lot about lust being something you've, it sounds like something you find difficult because it's always coming and going. It ebbs and flows. It's kind of, like you said, it's almost like in those corners, it's mold. And if you don't fix it, it grows. So you got to keep like, keep spackling over it all the time. This, this is an interesting, this is an interesting part. By the way, it sounds like you've got a B-52 bomber flying over your, <laughs> your, your airplane. Are no, you on the flight path? I think, I, I think my neighbor path. at, what is it, 10, decided to remodel their apartment. So, Oh, okay. That's, that's what we've got. Okay. So if you can hear it and we don't edit this out, it's not a B-52 <laughs> bomber about to blow up Chris's apartment. Okay. Um, <laughs> I can relax. Uh, so it, it, I think maybe this just comes down to um, a case of, well, we're using the same word, but we mean different things. Could be. So, when, so, so in my mind, lust, I would characterize lust as desire in a way that is... Um, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a want that is a wanting something that is not freely given. Um, and the, the opposite to that, and it's taking in particular, it's taking and it's grabbing and it's taking to fill something up inside that is a feeling of lack. That is how I would define lust. And I would say that something that is sharing um, is, a, is coming from a place of love. So it's not about, so for me, if I'm engaging in an intimate activity with my partner and that's a loving activity, then I'm giving. Now that can be fun, right? Don't get me wrong. It can be fun and it can be exciting and it can be playful or it can be any, any of those things. Um, but I wouldn't describe that as lust. I would say it's love if it's coming from a place of fullness rather than a feeling of emptiness that I'm trying to grasp and I'm desiring this because I, I want to feel better about myself. And that, that for me is a very important distinction in terms of the emotional state that I'm coming from. And therefore, lust for me is just feeding the addict. It's feeding the addiction of, I feel empty. I'm going to use this to make myself feel full again. But it, it never does because the emptiness is inside and nothing external will make me feel full. It's interesting how we define these things slightly different. I, I see where you're coming from. And I do agree. I never used the word lust for that, but I can see if I'm, it sounds more like a theological sort of use of, of lust. So I mean, lust could always be strong sexual desire. Not that we need to go into pedantics about a word here, but it's from a theological point of view, lust is sinful, but outside of the church, for example, religion, then it doesn't have to be. So, I, I mean, I see what you mean in terms of nuance. And I think that brings it back to why this is confusing, right? Because now you're sitting with mm. yourself in your own head, which especially yeah. early recoveries filled with lies and misguidance. Hmm. And now you got to figure, figure all this stuff out. It's difficult. Yeah. And I, um, I, I would, um, I guess, I guess how I feel about it is really not driven from a theological perspective of, okay, what would a church or a religion say about it? And I certainly wouldn't talk about, I certainly wouldn't, want to add uh, what is sinful and not sinful or holy or virtuous uh, in it. Um, I think that then just that probably adds an awful lot of complexity to something that's already not, not super clear already. Um, so I mean, that's uh, where, that's where SA and SLA differed. And that's uh, why SA exists as well, because they couldn't live in that absolute, right. like an absolutism. 
Yeah, and and so they've got a. I guess they've got a structure that kind of supports that pretty well, um, and it's coherent. And and I guess the coherence of it is is maybe sometimes more important as long as it's really coherent and it's very clear. Um, I think for me, it's you, you know what, what I'm looking. At, you know, I'm using the word lust as um, what 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 is your what is your intent in a, in a particular action, right? In a, in a particular intimate exchange, what what what's your intent? What what is your emotional state and your and your place of well-being and your place of being coming from. And if you, you you can have a strong desire, a very intense desire to connect to someone um, with a very different place, right? You can be coming from a, a place of desperation, of neediness and wanting and taking, and that can be very intense. Or you can come from a huge place of just fullness and giving and love and compassion for the person you just want to share it and they're just not the same in in my in my neurology right and i would talk i would say the first one for me is lust and the second one would be a place coming from a place of love um and it's not black and white right these things aren't discrete they can sometimes the the behaviors between them can be shared right so you've really kind of got to be very mindful and aware i think as in this program are like hey how am i how am i interacting here and i think this often comes out when people say you know that they, they go well i'm abstinent and i've been and i've almost been sexually anorexic for like you know a, a fair decent period of time and i'm no longer intimate with my partner and there's almost like uh, a fear to be engaging because that behavior has got contaminated with that lust I mean, I struggled with that for a long time coming in because I'm, I mean, I hurt my wife deeply. So it was, for me, it, it felt quite natural to, I mean, it's kind of clearly communicated from her as well, you know, to take a mm. big step back because the relationship we had was done and we had to rebuild mm. from scratch. Yeah. And it's, it's still somewhat challenging to allow myself to be quote unquote lustful, to be like, I want my wife. I still don't allow myself to have those feelings because uh, I, I don't want to come up too strong, but it comes from a place. Mm. It comes from a place of kindness and love. It's like I don't want her to feel pressured. We're almost two years in, but it's mm. it's it's fine. That's my amends to her, right? For really deeply hurting her. That's okay. I'll I'll do some more housework and some dishes, and I'll be pleasant <laughs> to be around. And then all that other stuff will solve itself over time, and it, it does continuously. But it, but it's difficult not to become anorexic or just. Just out of, out of, for me, it's a lot of fear around it, you know, not wanting to hurt again. Yeah, and I guess one of the th- one of the things that I would look for in maybe a bottom line is is you know is um, things around sexual anorexia, you know, of because fundamentally, it, it to me it it feels like an intimacy avoidance, which is isolation. And and w- what is an addiction? It's partly of isolation. And what is yeah. the opposite of addiction? Connection. So, you know, if, you, if, you're, if you're going, well, I've been abstinent for two years and I've never had any sexual contact with my partner, then that feels like it's that, it feels like we there's not the middle ground. It's not, we've not fully learned that sexually healthy relationship to, to understand how to express our sexuality in a healthy way, in a loving way. And and I found as well that it can shift. I, I can be um, feel very loving and intimate and close with my partner, and then there's some lust will kind of creep up and it'll start to kind of flip, and it'll evolve. And it's like, and then it might subside again. So it's not black and white, oh, I'm loving to my partner and that's it, done forever. Like, no, it <laughs> at least that's not been my experience. And it can be very nuanced and I have to be, I find I need to be quite mindful about how, how I am, and, and that 
what that causes me to do in this program is I've had to learn to put a boundary uh, and express that boundary, by the way, in advance. So, you know, because I don't want to upset or cause harm and things like that, which is if um, to be able to say no, even if it was yes yesterday or even yes three, four minutes ago. Uh, and it's like, hey, look, you know, some things shifting or it's like hmm, no i'm not in the mood or just this doesn't feel right until and, and or this um this activity or this yeah i guess this activity was okay last week and yeah you know just right now it just doesn't feel right and just to be honest and really mindful of how i'm feeling in that moment is like okay what what is my motivation in this particular moment because the behavior can be the same but the intent behind it can be very very different yeah hmm. it's interesting it's uh but I, I feel that's the complexities you're mentioning now. It's again back to why why this is confusing in the beginning. I remember when I came into the program, and we created the like the bottom lines behavior, extremely prescriptive, yeah. very straightforward. Be like, you can't do this, that, or the other. And I think it was like five, six, seven items. And then they covered most of it, but it essentially put me in a box of you're taking off sex for a while entirely. You're going to yeah. be anorexic for a while, which was fine. I think that's a, for me, it was helpful in the beginning just to get a little bit of breathing room and to kind of start getting space from it all. Um, yeah. But it's tough coming in. You know, it's how do you figure this out? And it's to your point, that's why you need another person who is sponsored, something to crack your ego to tell you, you know, what's mm -hmm. what actually is what. Yeah. And and that, that, that's a, there's a nice little point that I just love to pick up on there, which is about um, almost about drying out. Um, Certainly when I got into this program, I, I would say I was drunk in lust, right? And and what I wanted to do is I wanted to stop that behavior effectively where I was collapsing on the floor because I'd passed out and drunk. Um, and I hadn't seen that actually I was taking my first drink of lust weeks and weeks and weeks before. Um, I hadn't connected that. And so I had to learn and see that. And it took me quite a while to effectively dry out because if you just – I say just drinking beer, you like you come off the hard stuff, but you're still drinking beer. You, you still don't really have the clarity. And, and so one of the things that I find often comes up is often a challenging one is masturbation. Bottom line or not a bottom line. And I hear this debated a lot and um, it often kind of comes up in, it's like, sh should it be in, should it not? And, um, and then you kind of get ones like with masturbation with euphoric recall, um, masturbation with certain types of fantasy. And it's like, I I I don't know how if let me put it this way if I'm drunk in lust and I haven't dried out how can I effectively know what is what is a healthy masturbation versus not a healthy masturbation like like do I really have the calibration in the moment when I'm in the act to know oh that's healthy that's not healthy uh, or if I get a fleeting thought in my head and then it, and then I pass and then it goes did I did I just relapse it was fleeting. I didn't indulge. Like, and this is what I mean. It's suddenly ambiguous. It's like, is that a relapse or is it not a relapse? But that's where your sponsor comes in to help you with ambiguity. Because I mean, to your point, if if you say you catch yourself for a few moments, like you don't even notice it happening and thinking back to memory, it's your brain does what it, your brain is made to think. It's made to come right. up with thoughts. It meant to re, that's what it does. So, you know, you can send it away and that's fine. It maybe yeah. wasn't pleasant. Maybe it made you. Maybe it made you lustful. Who knows? But you, you know, you just pass it on. It's fine. Let's. Oh, that that happened. Let's move on. But I can see for a newcomer why that's challenging, though. 
Well, and it also speaks to the powerlessness of, of it, right? So, so always kind of, this is how I work kind of with kind of my sponsors. They might say, hey, I, they might go, here's a proposed bottom line, masturbation with euphoric fecal or fantasy, right? And I go, well, a fantasy for how long? What kind of fantasy? Aren't you powerless over those addictive thoughts? Yeah. So, hmm, like, how can you have masturbation with something? And effectively, what you're making is you're making a thought a bottom line. And I'm like, you can't control that. So basically, you've got no control over whether you're relapsing or not. Like, I mean, we don't have control over relapse anyway, but can you, it, it just feels like an impossible target to set someone of going, never have a sexual thought again. It's like, how, how can you stay sober with that? Like, I, I don't know how safer. that's helpful. But it's safer, isn't it? Because now you've done it. If you can crack that code, then you fix it. You fix yourself, but it's impossible. Right. Because we're, I mean, we're literally biologically wired to reproduce, so it's not going to happen. And you're an addict. And, and so if you accept you're an addict and you're powerless over it, you're constantly going to be resetting your... Not, not, that it's a, not that it's a problem necessarily to, to reset your sobriety time. That, that's not the aim of the game, right? It's, it's not a score of who's got the biggest number. But you've kind of... It's like, how do you measure progress? If you're just going, oh, I've had a thought that I've reset it again. Like, it's how do you how do you really calibrate? And is is it is it is that going to help, right? And also, I've I've noticed now, it, sometimes when these thoughts come, there's something else going on. It it never mm-hmm. hurts to sip with it. Not not in a way that I'm going to use this for what it like philosophical activities necessarily. But it's like, hmm, what's going on in my life right now? Why did this pop up? Yeah. This is interesting. Like this memory yeah. from you know ten years ago. Why was this so important? I'm sitting on the other side of the world. It's like. I feel well rested. I might be well fed, though. I might everything might be fine, but then that happens. And then I've noticed if I start journaling or you know sit in it for a bit, suddenly I start to notice. Oh, maybe there was something over here. Like as you said, like you start connecting the dots a bit. I yeah. find that helpful. Absolutely. And so what? And and so, so here's how I kind of suggest kind of with, with the sponsors I work with is to is I would say something like well. I would say normally, in the, if there's any ambiguity around that masturbation, right? So, so for me personally, I don't have any shame around it, and and so I, I'm, and mine, uh, for to, to to be effective, let's say, just for me, I would always have to use pornography, and then pornography is definitely in my bottom line. So it, so just having masturbation in kind of doesn't really make any difference for me because I don't do it if I don't have pornography and pornography in the bottom line. So it's a bit of a mute point for me. But for other people, it's like, well, sometimes I feel shame, sometimes I don't, and it's a little bit gray and it's a little bit fuzzy. And I just go, put it in your bottom line for 90 days. And then you dry out. And then we can then we can calibrate a little bit better because right now there's no calibration. So you don't know whether you're you don't know whether you're acting out because of lust. You're you don't know where your head is. Like you need time to dry out from this stuff. So and the t- and you can't calibrate if you're just sipping little bits of beer or wine on the side. So my recommendation is go dry out for ninety days and then just see how you feel about it after ninety days of sobriety without any of this stuff. Now that normally scares people. And you go, well, if it scares you, then that tells you that might be something you might want to kind of look at, right? Um, and then things like um, having romantic thoughts or fantasy, those types of things, I don't tend to recommend those going a bottom line because I say, like, you're just constantly relapsing and then it's kind of like, what's the point? Um, I, I would say put them in a middle circle and with if you have these thoughts and you don't check them in, 
that becomes a middle circle because if you do that consistently, I think you're going to end up relapsing because you're indulging your your your, your addict. I personally, and this is just a personal view, I wouldn't say that's a relapse because you get thoughts in all the time and that's that's what addicts have. So the, the question is, do you work the program? Do you check this stuff in? Or are you going, oh, I've got this nice little thought, I'll keep it and I'll keep it to myself? Well, you're probably middle circling there. That's how I think about it. I don't intuitively agree with that last bit. I don't. Mm. Go on then, go on. So I, I know you really, you check in a lot of things mm-hmm. all the time. Um, but I've, I've kind of come to the point where, you know, in the beginning of recovery, I was okay putting in tons of effort and tons of time into it. But as time goes on, it's kind of like, well, we got to start mixing life back in into it. And it's kind of, I operate on a basis, like what kills me first, sort of. Let's start there. So there's certain things in my life that absolutely cannot happen. Right. Um, often for me, that's drinking, that's doing drugs, because that leads me to using people. Using people is a very nice thing, as mm-hmm. probably everyone listening to this can agree. And so if, but now when you start stacking this up, like that fleeting thought, if I see someone on the street that's pretty, I might see it and then I acknowledge it. And I'm like, oh, yeah, but I like my partner because I worked so hard to get to a point where there's a boundary in place. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel a strong boundary. So say I I went out, uh, was it last Friday, to grab a burger. It was quite late. My wife was out of town. It was like 11 at night. And I had to go through this. I didn't have to, but I didn't know it was a party street. But when my burger places, which I usually order from, was a party street. But I wanted some fresh mm-hmm. air. So I went there and people are dressed up to go out. And I'm like, I noticed like the thoughts keep popping up. Oh, I could hate up this person, that person, whatever. But there's still mm-hmm. that strong sense of boundary within be like, yeah, actually, no, I just want to go home because I I kind of work my way into knowing that I got a loving partner. I'm not yeah. so I'm not too worried about, you know, calling someone. When you say checking in, I, I hear calling someone. So I'm like, I'm having all these thoughts. But it's like, sure, well, but I also have steps to combat these yeah. thoughts. Yeah. So, well, well, I think maybe we're saying the same thing. What, what I'm saying is, I would not put that in a bottom line because I don't. I would say you haven't. I, I would say in that case, I don't think that's a relapse. What I'm saying is that if that is intense and it is starting to cause any emotional disturbance, and you're keeping hold of that, mm, so you mean when it then, continuously grows? So, say if you just have a passing thought on the street, I've sometimes received a text from you, be like, "Oh, I've thought yeah. of this. Just so it's out of your way." Yeah. So, yeah, I would just do that with myself. Just be like, "Oh, I didn't like that." Yeah, I, I actually I actually often go to my higher power, actually. If I get something like that and I'm driving, I can't I'm not gonna pick up the phone and start texting someone. So I I'll just pray. And I, but but for me that's that's the that's the taking I'm taking a program action around it, which is I I'm surrendering it. And and so I would say that in now if I repeatedly don't if I'm not doing that, I I say I'm in middle circle. I wouldn't say that's a relapse. I would say that for me, I would say I'm in middle circle because if I'm not doing that consistently, uh, I'm only moving one direction. I am not moving to recovery. I'm moving towards my addiction, maybe very slowly, but at time, like I know that's not where it ends. That might be where it starts, but that's not where it ends. And so, I, yeah. And I, you touched on something so important. And it's something about like the imperfect results from a journey to perfection. And it's, you know, it's, as long as the desire is there to be better, you will at some point get better, even though it's tough and difficult, especially I, in the beginning, I had so much shame around having mm-hmm. thoughts, especially it's just, oh, am yeah. I bad again? Have I fucked up again? Although I haven't done anything wrong. It was that constant fear of like, am I messing up? Am I messing up? Can I trust yeah. myself? Yeah. But it's nice now, like a little while into recovery that 
I don't have that anymore. There's a little sense of security. I don't, mm-hmm. I still work with people all the time because I don't see how sick I am in my head unless I see other people's sickness. But I can trust myself, like sort of navigate the world a little bit on my own, which is quite yeah. helpful. And and here's, uh, and I'm really with you on this thing about the shame piece. And uh, and I just kind of want to just clarify a little bit on, on just the checking in. The, the point of checking in is to be free of any shame. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. it, that, that, that's the kind of point of it is like, because if, if we have something, we have a thought that comes into our head, which feels kind of quite sexual or intrusive, uh, that can bring a lot of shame. Now, if you're harboring that, and you're not sharing that out, then certainly that that, that will knock me for six eventually. And, and like big ones, like, you know, one of the most uh, I, I think where I probably get the most is maybe I'll have a dream, you know, I'll have an intrusive dream, something like that. Yeah. And I'll, I'll, I'll have an acting out dream and I'll kind of wake up, oh, you know, and I'm not in control of that dream. So I check it in and I share it. And if I don't want to do that, then because I'm ashamed of it, then I really do need to check it in. So the point of checking stuff in isn't, oh, you bad boy, you've had a naughty thought again, Chris. Like, <laughs> no, that's the opposite. That's, that's exactly why you do check it in to get rid of that shame because when you share it with people who know. Yeah. But that's exactly what it felt like for the longest time. Right? It <laughs> mm. came from a fear-based place. I was mm. fearful of messing it up again. Like I, my wife made it very clear. You got one chance, and you use your one chance. So there's no, there's no more, there's no more trying. Or you know, if I contact anyone, if I do anything, I think we're kind of in agreement that for everyone's safety, let's end it. I don't want that. Mm. So like, there's always a little bit of fear that you know, am I doing the right thing? Is this right? Am I trending the right direction? And I think that thought in and of itself helps me trending the right direction mm. most of the time. You know, there's three steps forward, one step back most days. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's challenging. Yeah. And so, so on, on objective, so this is kind of like objectification, fantasy, that kind of type of stuff. Um, I, I, I know people do have objectification in the bottom line, but I also know that people do that and then they'll have a fleeting thought of they'll see someone attractive and they'll go, Oh, they're nice, which, you know, like you're a human being. Right. But, um, but they don't reset the sobriety clock. And it's like, well, how, for me, that's an incongruence. How, like if it's in your bottom line and you do it, it's a relapse. It, I, I, for me, if I type in three letters into a browser, like sex, I've had a relapse regardless of whether I hit enter or not. Right. Regardless if I look at anything, regardless if I like that, that's a yeah. relapse for me. I, I've, it's very clear. I think you're kind of touching up on why one thing I've seen often happen in inner circles, and this is a personal opinion for sure, but it's, there's too much in it. Mm-hmm. Like it's, there is so much ambiguity to begin with, even in the bottom line, it can, uh, you know, just where the middle mm-hmm. circle and the inner circle starts blending, mm-hmm. there is ambiguity and it doesn't mean you're doing anything bad. It doesn't mean you did something bad, but maybe the thought like that dream, when you talk about having a dream, mm-hmm. I sometimes wake up, the dream was vivid. I might've even partaken and I wake up like, no, yeah. I didn't mean to partake. And it feels like a relapse no? It, it, it does for me. It does. And I, I've noticed, I, I've actually started checking that in my wife. Like, I feel terrible. I feel kind of mm. guilty right now. And the, why I feel guilty is I got to share, share share with, I kind of, there was part of me that liked it. And I don't want mm. that. Yeah. You know, but it's, it's at your point of objectification. I mean, it's, it's again, back to kind of how we're hardwired. We're constantly scanning the world all the time for, you know, mm. saber tooth tigers and opportunities to reproduce, right? That's kind of how... Yeah. Our caveman brains work. At least I, I like to lean on the idea that that's how it works. 
because it makes it a little bit simpler to deal with the K-membrane than the you know it's, modern day. Effectively, effectively, what you have is you have um, you have uh, the equivalent of a, a drug factory in your brain, which produces alcohol or cocaine or whatever. It is. Little, it's, it's just lust. You've got your little, little lust factory. Yeah, yeah exactly, pharmacy. exactly right. And if we're really powerless over this, which I believe we are, so yeah, so so just. I mean, actually, do you know what? Just, just a guy I mentioned the other day, I went to an AA meeting, a guy who's been 27 years in the program, and he kind of used the um, pharmacy analogy. I like, and he was like, you can strong arm the back door of the pharmacy and take everything you want. That's fine. But it's your own pharmacy. Like, just go to the front, just order what you want. It's this, you get the same things. What about that? It's like, you walk mm -hmm. to the front. That could be making yourself a good dinner. That could be going for a walk. Could be saying something nice to someone, right? Just all the things you yeah. should be doing. And you're going to get all the same stuff, except from, you know, when you steal the entire inventory off the pharmacy, now they got to restock and it takes a while. It's just like everyone's suffering. And you feel so, really rubbish afterwards. So, I was like, vi yeah. visually, I was like, yeah, that mm. kind of makes sense. But yeah. just oh, just on the previous point, um, if I can manage to catch it because I'm noticing it's starting to flee. Uh, <laughs> no, it's gone. It's eluded me. Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, the... the yeah, I, I, so so I guess I guess I would summarize and say, um, if if I drive down the road, or I'm walking down the street, and and you know, someone attractive walks past me, and I, and I I get that thought in my head, I, I would not consider that a relapse, but I have objectified someone, and if it if it feels if I don't surrender it, like I don't pray to my higher power, I don't say you know, or, or it feels particularly compulsive or shame around it, I do look to check it in. And, and oftentimes it's, it gets easier just going, okay, that's just, that's just my edit brain again. I just let it go. Um, and, um, but yeah, but if I don't check it in or it's compulsive or like I want to take, and I take a second look, it's like, oh, okay, that, that, that's, that feels middle circle to me. But now it's an action-based program, right? And that's yeah. kind of going to be my point on objectification, just to close that one off. It's, uh, I got this thing when I joined AA and it's the, call it on the beam off the beam so if you're dishonest you got to counter mm -hmm. it with honesty because it's impossible to be both dishonest and honest at the same time if you're really honest if you're fair mm -hmm. you gotta have faith if you're frightened you gotta have courage you know if you have pride show some humility if you objectify show some kindness if yeah. you objectify show genuine interest you know i always thought like when you start asking other questions like, are you an only child you've got brothers and sisters like mm -hmm. that all that contextualizing for me makes all that objectification away because now I'm leaning with kindness, I'm leaning with care, mm. genuine like interest. And then yeah. suddenly I don't I'm not too interested in them in that way because I've reframed it in my head mm. with an action in the moment. Yeah. So so this this is I'm just gonna like segue this a little bit now into Go for it. Um what one of the things that I think is particularly challenging. Maybe if you're single, it's, it's maybe a little bit more clear if you're in a committed relationship. Um, but if you're single and you're on a dating app, okay, so now you're on a dating app, you're looking for a partner. Is that, um, you know, where are you on that thing? And and one of my one of my challenges with it is that particularly in the early days of sobriety, if you don't have any sobriety under your belt, you're drunk. How on earth can you calibrate? How do you know what is um, what what is a genuine desire for a loving relationship? And I would also question, like, if you're if you're deep in sex addiction and you don't have sobriety, do you really, honestly, do you do you really feel you've got the capacity to give consistently to make a relationship work in that moment? Question. 
not not for me to answer for anyone else, but I, I would I would ask that question uh, of my sponsee. Um, and so I, because what my experience is like the things like dating apps um, are pretty dangerous early on because effectively the boundary between finding a partner and transactional sex is razor thin that line and it for me and i know for other people it can it can flip right even in a moment like and i know people like they'll change their profiles and it's like oh i'm seeing oh and that girl looks in there and oh look there's an escort advertising on this thing and like they're off you know it just feels like such a dangerous playground to be in and um, it actually points to something else around just transactional sex, which I think is really, really, really dangerous early on without sobriety. So well, it's dangerous anyway, let alone with sobriety, let alone when you're already drunk in it. So. This might be an unpopular thought, and it's mine and mine only. And I haven't been married for decades, so it's not like apps weren't mm-hmm. a thing before mm-hmm. I met my wife. They just weren't as big because uh, it was pre-COVID. I don't think... It, like any anyone who's an addict for an S program, using an app is literally strong arming the back of your pharmacy. You're swiping, you're constantly overloading yourself. Like, why do you need to see a thousand people to find a partner? If you're str- mm. if you are struggling to find a partner, there is something about that. Then you're being dishonest with yourself. Find that honesty, figure out what to change, and work on it a little bit every day. Maybe you know, make friends. Friends have other friends. That's a very natural way of meeting people with genuine connection, genuine interest, genuine care. But swiping people left or right cannot not be objectification. It, it's impossible for it not to be objectification because what are you doing? You're objectifying every single person who comes across your screen. And I don't know how that works. I've, I've thought about mm. what happens if me and my wife separates. Mm. I, I'm not going to do dating apps, that's for sure, because where is my personal growth in that? Am I building my network? Am I building my close connections? No. Am I just seeking for someone to fill that void within me, which I now have because I don't have a partner? 100%. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Brings it back to what's my real intent here. It's to use someone else to fix me because I couldn't fix myself. I, I'm not whole and complete without it being in a relationship or whatever it is. I, exactly. I, I have to say, I actually... I'm uh, I'm kind of with you on this one, um, and I know it's, and I think largely that it's on pop. I think there's a lot of resistance to it, or there can be a lot of resistance to it because, you know, we're just saying, hey, you're going to go cold turkey. You, you know, you, you're going to take away that low alcohol beer stash behind the thing. I said it's not really low alcohol beer actually. It's, it's, it's fortified not. wine actually. You know what I mean? It might not be that real ass stuff, but it's pretty dangerous, huh? Yeah, I mean, we we brought up Eckhart Tolle many times, and I, I think one of the things he talks about, like one of the most powerful ways to soothe your pain body is to have another person, especially during sex, but in general as well, mm. because that can make you feel whole for a moment. And like, that's not your partner's job. If you can fix yeah. that before you get into the relationship, you're going to have a much better time from the get-go, for sure. I, I remember having a conversation with a, with a fellow – and they, were, they, they asked you this kind of question because because we we're, were talking about dating apps, and they went, "Oh well, when when can I when when can I get into a relationship?" Right, like, you know, they're kind of time boxing it. It's like, okay, you know, like here's the addict negotiating, like, can it a month, yeah. or three months, or is it how long does it have to be? It's like, well, and I said, well, for me, the answer for that is when you no longer need a relationship. Yeah, that's when that's when you're ready for a relationship when you don't need it anymore, but you want it because you have something to share and something to give, and you want to share your life with someone rather than i need this relationship and i'm just i'm just counting down the clock to when i can go 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 get someone right you know and it's uh, and to 
uh, address kind of self-esteem issues fundamentally or make myself feel better or kind of try and soothe me or whatever. And I guess, you know, my experience of dating apps in particular and, and you know, also things like hookup sites and stuff like that, because I, I had a pretty... I had a pretty varied and uh, unpleasant kind of acting out set of behaviors. But um, my when I was writing my kind of bottom lines in my inner circle, I, I originally had dating apps in my middle circle, right? It's like, well, and, and to be quite honest, what I was doing is my addict was telling me that um, these people, it's consensual, so it's fine. They're adults. It's fine, and yeah, this it's part of dating, isn't it? It's part of dating. Dating. It's just two adults. We're both two consensual adults. What's how? What's the harm in this? And and then I started kind of telling myself, well, you know, but I've got a real connection with this person, and it's really nice, and we we get on well. And and then I realized, you know, and then and then I started to find that I'd go on a date to do, and then just completely lose interest with them, you know, because I guess what I got kind of what I wanted, and it's like, oh, why am I losing interest in people? Oh. Oh, that's why, because my addict brain has completely fooled me again and had me believe that I was engaging in a relationship with this person or a communication because of something spiritual, something good, a genuine connection, complete bullshit. My addict was running the show. I didn't even know. I'm just using that person, saying what I want to say, doing the connection. And then once I've acted out with them, it's like I'm off. So, you know, I, 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 can't, I can't even trust my own brain, what it tells me. I can't even trust my own intent with these types of things because that's my powerlessness over this. Like, I, my addict's in the driving seat. I don't even know. Yeah, but again, that's that's the difficulty of being in a behavioral-based program, right? Because in AA, it's, it's fairly straightforward. Just right. don't drink. It's a guy I'm in my response to me. Sometimes I feel like, have you had a drink? No. Well, then life is usually quite good then everything mm. else will fall into place, you know? Yeah. Here, it's not the same. If I have a, if I wake up with the wrong foot after a few hours of sleep, mm. I will have a tough day in recovery regardless. Mm. And it's not like I can hide in my apartment and pretend like my problems doesn't exist because it's there right with me. The liquor store, it's around the corner. I got to walk. Like I got about 15, mm. 20 minutes thinking time before anything would happen. Mm. I might as well not leave. So it's difficult. It's very difficult. Yeah, it is. And it's, it's, I think it's probably why a daily inventory also really helps. And, um, but the, you know, what, what, what I, what I found is when toying between dating apps and kind of, I guess, effectively transactional sex, and I was moving this between the, you know, I was kind of like, oh, middle circle and there's like, but it didn't feel right being in the middle circle. And, and I moved it into my bottom line and something really, really interesting happened. I noticed when I did that is by moving transactional sex into my bottom line, what I was doing is I was drawing a boundary around my own self-worth. And suddenly I felt really good. And I knew it might be harder, but actually it was a lot cleaner. And I actually, I actually basically I said, I am worth something. And and what I was doing actually, I was expecting other people not to cheapen me. And yet I thought I was cheapening them, but actually I was cheapening myself by engaging in that activity and that behavior. And when I put it in my bottom line, what I did is I made a stand for my own self-worth around I, I'm not worth transactional sex anymore I actually want a relationship that is wholesome that is good that is healthy for me a healthy sexual relationship and an intimate and loving relationship and no one can do that for me and if I'm on transactional dating apps and doing hookups I'm never going to feel that and no one's going to do that for me I need to get off this shit and, and so that's what I did 
I like how you frame that. I like that. So transactional sex for me, any dating apps, I always say bottom line. And now, so we talked about single people. That also applies to couples as well in my personal view is because um, I'll often hear people go, well, i got a partner. How about an open relationship? And as long as they agree to it, is that is that okay? And I'm like, hmm, okay. This is just another play, at least for me. This is just another flavor of the same ice cream, right? Which is, um, and what I ask them is, and and I say this because I've I've gone down I've had a, a personal experience of going down this and uh, I guess exploring open relationships and things like that when when I was in a, in, in a relation in a committed relationship, and my reflection on it at the time is that this was completely self seeking, it completely was serving my addict. Um, Again, my addict was bullshitting me around the real intent. Oh, it's just, you know, I've just got so much love to give people. Like, you're just complete rubbish. Fuck you, dude. Um, you want to supercharge yourself. That's yeah, what's exactly. happening. Like, I, you know, you, know, you put the turbo yeah. in the engine. Yeah. I just, you know, that's all it is. It's just the addict wanting more. The, wanting something it doesn't have now is more intimacy avoidance because I can have lots of people at a very shallow level. And what I was absolutely 100% overlooking, hadn't even crossed my mind, is the harm to the other person. I didn't even think about how they felt about it. Not one bit. And you know what? Normally, in a committed relationship, if one person is normally, not always true, but normally if one person's pushing for an open relationship, the other person, if they agree to it, is probably going to get harmed because they're not always in the same place. Unless you get two addicts and they're in the same place, but then you probably want to get out of that relationship. That's like dating your that's like dating your, your drug dealer. Bad, bad relationship, just in case you didn't know, you know? <laughs> Sounds great in theory when you come into recovery, though. Oh, yeah. I, shamefully, the thought occurred to me a few times, wouldn't it just be so much? Why don't we date in the rooms? That makes so much sense. <laughs> it's like, God damn it. Yeah. Focus. Like, oh so, yeah, someone's sharing. Be quick, like. <laughs> oh, you know, like I, 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 had, I had ideas of like these stupid ideas, like maybe, maybe I could be a pimp. That would solve all my problems. Like, like really? <laughs> yeah, it just like doesn't create any other problems <laughs> tangential to it. Just oh, dear. <laughs> such but, an but, easy you know, career. <laughs> but, oh, yeah, yeah. That, that's a life of morality, isn't it? But, um, but yeah, so I, I uh, you know, I would also say, I would encourage people not to go down the open relationship thing. Not that I'm giving advice to people, right? Sorry, I don't, no, I don't no. want to kind of say that. But I'm just like, if I had a sponsor, I'd be going, hey, look, like I would suggest open relationship stuff is probably going to fuel your addiction, not not move you away from it. And and if you're avoiding a deep, meaningful connection with someone, with a person, then, hey, like what does that say, you know? And it's something about the – it's not ego. It's, you know, when you feel like you're smarter than you are, what do we call that again? Um like when you're hubris or whatever, uh, you know, you have some, you read about these polyamory couples who are able to communicate mm-hmm. efficiently with each other and stay mm-hmm. together for life. These are say three people communicating really clearly high self-worth individuals with a lot of boundaries and values. Who the fuck do I think I am? I couldn't even communicate <laughs> my own feelings coming into this program, let alone sitting with two other people being vulnerable. Yeah. Like it, this is, I, I don't, I, I've, it took me a while to realize I'm not that guy. I am oh, not completely. good enough to be able to, I don't, like in two point of like having so much love to give, I'm not smart enough to give that much love. Like, I don't know how, yeah. like, it's not my, it's not my business. I don't think it ever will be. If I can ever figure that out, I'm going to distill it and I'm going to give it to SA because I must have figured out something no one else understood in those oh. rooms, maybe. 
completely and and this kind of goes what we were saying early on like we you know we were talking about anorexia and like you know when you start to get some sobriety then like there's a bit of fear around just being intimate with a person like just one person that's hard enough as a sex addict i think it's just really bloody hard especially um, i mean you're especially the other person i've noticed this a lot yeah. in my own marriages i've learned a lot of ways to communicating healthily in this fellowship doesn't mean it's well received mm. and now you've got to start accounting for another person who might not have sat down and thought about all the same things, although come from a place of love and they're healthy and good ways of communicating, kind of to your point about, you know, when you see connection, it's 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 a meaningful connection, not just like a transactional connection. Mm-hmm. Most people yeah. don't learn this at home. So now you got to also start accounting for that too. It's it's difficult. It's challenging. Oh, I mean, I, I would almost say like, as I would say as a sex addict, getting one relationship uh, in inverted commas, right, is an incredible challenge. Doing it with multiple partners at the same time, like really, <laughs> like no, forget it, forget it, dude. Like just, just, just stick with one um, yeah, and get that and do, and do that right. You know, build trust with one person intimately, and yeah, that, that, that's a good start. That's a nice life. Yeah. So where where are we sitting now? Now we're in inner circle. So which circle yes. are we moving to? Well. Um, the only other thing I was just going to say is um, we should move to it. We should probably move to in a circle, but um, things like um, I would probably also put stuff in there where anything where your addict's not, in, where your addict's in the driving seat, you know? So I know people, I would say people have had relapses and we've reset clocks with people, um, you know, on YouTube or on TikTok and like, you know, shorts and this type of stuff because they're effectively the, 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 they're in and it's just a matter of time and they might not get to pornography or they might not get to an escort site or whatever it is that, you know, that is in their bottom line, but effectively they're on the track and something happened and intervened. So for example, if seeing escorts is a bottom line and you try to call one or two, but can't get through because or for whatever reason, or you go to the cash point and you've got no money in your bank, I'd say that's a relapse because it doesn't matter whether you did it or not. It's like you, you're, you're, your addict was in control. I disagree so strongly with that. Oh, um, let, me use, okay. let me use drinking as a good one. So mm. if I walk to the liquor store and I bump into you on the way, I'd call that divine intervention. That's one of those, you know, those coincidences. It doesn't feel like one. Like, why did I bump into Stu here on my way there because I was going to buy a drink? Chances are we're going to grab okay. a coffee, right? Now, in the same lane with other things, I've I've struggled a bit with social media too, uh, and it I, it always does it. At some point, it throws content which you look at for a millisecond too long, and the algorithm's like, "I got you now, I got you." Yeah. Now I see where you're coming from. I found it very challenging to then be like, "Oh, so that I'm going to reset a lot." Doesn't feel right because I haven't. My life has not imploded. I haven't done anything wrong well i i would not say your life has to implode for it to be a bottom line I, but I, my I, life that's imp- not my yeah but that my, be li- my definition my life doesn't i don't have to die for me to hit a bottom line but there's a lot of things that would have negative repercussions in my life right yeah but it's like the whole thing like is your life going to implode because you look at 20 minutes of pornography Probably yeah, not. It, maybe no, not, not in that one instant, but like you know, it, it's it's taking yeah. where it starts and going. Well, it's it's a bit like the low alcohol beer stuff. It's just a low alcohol beer, like it's just whiskey in the milk. You know, it's it's that kind of same type of argument for me. Yeah, but and yeah. you're always almost sitting in a beer experiment with a behavioral addiction. It's almost always a little bit of a beer in there somewhere. Like you can't eliminate it, which is the challenge, right? It's. I would say if you're engaged in a behavior 
where you're out of control, your addict is in, effectively in control. Now, so to use your use your liquor store analogy, if if you're going in, if you're breaking into a liquor store to get drunk, or you're you're trying to crack the lock of the safe, so you, you know on the front of the drink, whiskey cabinet to get in, and the fact that you're an, an incompetent person at breaking a lock, that kind of doesn't go, oh, well, I haven't had a read. Like, like emotionally, uh, I, I, I was, think I'm not in the right place. Huh? No, that's fair. I, I mean, I was thinking we're, I'm walking to buy the liquor and I've made it up in my mind that this is a good idea. Fortunately, someone stops me on the way sort of, because you, you haven't, you still haven't broken it, but you're like, you're not in a great place. So I'm not that, saying you're, you're not saying you're a good place. You're an awful place. Yeah, I and it, and it depends on how you would do it. I mean, like, so for me, I would say, look, let, let's let's say you go onto your browser and you type, you start typing in, looking in for porn websites, and you get your blocks up, right? Some people have blocks on their, their sites. You're getting blocks up, and you're trying to get around your blocks, and you're unsuccessful, and you don't kind of manage to do it, and you've like, I, I would say that's a relapse because you you've got an intent to to act out. The fact that life intervened and you didn't doesn't mean that you were sober in that moment. Because it's behavioral, right? I would say you're not sober. That, that's how I would look at it, and that's how I treat the responses. And I think having a really high bar on it. So as I said, you know, for me, if I type in three letters, I don't even have to t- hit return. If I type in sex or blonde boobs or whatever it is into, into are, are my you, browser. Are you five? <laughs> well, I, I, I'm not going to comment on that. But look, I mean, it's, it's just, you know, for me, that would be a relapse because it, yeah. my emotional state is like, I'm, I have an intent, a, a, a really specific intent to act out. You know, if, if, I, if I'm calling an escort and she doesn't pick up, I, I'm acting out. For sure, I'm acting out like that's how I look at it anyway. But um, we don't have to agree on it. But uh, but that, that's how I would. That's how. No, we don't. And I'll show why I I can't look at it like that because then I live in a mm. perpetual state of shame. If I I had to simplify the pro- my program a bit because if not, I will live in a constant state of shame, and that actually did more harm than good. I had a period mm. where I took a lot of stuff out of my bottom line, and was like, all right, we'll keep the stuff that really hurts and we'll take out the stuff that doesn't immediately hurt because then i was less it was less focused on it i kind of stopped focusing on it so for me that helped so there Mm. was a little transition period where things were shaky but now it's now i'm much more clear like if it's weird hyper focusing on it never helped but i i yeah and there's sometimes if if you're in a place where effectively you're, you're constantly resetting the clock, there's a lot of despondence around it. There's a lot of shame. And effectively what you're saying is the bar's just too high and you're going to get disillusioned. And that's kind of what we're talking about kind of before about those things. It's like, some, you know, because there's this um, boundary that we can adjust maybe to a, to a certain extent. You know, if, if you're engaged, for example, in a ton of legal activity and you're, you're just doing some, you know, some pretty pretty extreme things, you know, just start with that. Just start with that, you know. And and then yeah. o- over time, I, I would say start to, you know, maybe, you know, start to raise the bar is one way of doing it. I mean, there's, there's, there's a million ways to kind of skin a cat, right? And you could go cold turkey or you just, you, you know, you wean yourself off stuff. But I, I don't know. I mean, like if you look at AA... Would they say, "Oh, just wean yourself off, take off the whiskey, then get onto the wine"? I don't think. I don't think they would. I think you know. So no, but I, no, I, but I, what I, they'll tell you, for example, is why do a lot of people outside of a meeting smoke? Because that's not your immediate concern. That cigarette is it? Like I will right. some now. I'll be like, "Oh, I've had too much coffee." I can notice I'm mm-hmm. kind of chasing a little coffee eye, or 
the last few days, I've had a few cigarettes. I don't really smoke. It just felt good. That yeah. too, I'm like clocking, hmm, there's something going on. I don't know quite what it is. But these yeah. these activities aren't hard. I mean, cigarettes aren't great, but it's not harmful in the same way as an AA. They'll start with what kills you first. So if you're coming into a meeting and you're talking a lot about drugs, to be like, all right, we're going to find you either an AA meeting that has drugs in it, as in that you're allowed to talk about drugs, uh, or mm-hmm. they'll find an NA meeting because that's what's going to kill you first. And yeah. then we're going to touch the alcohol and then we're going to work our way out of this hole. Like you, you got to, you got to step out of the hole, you know, kind of one foot at a time. Climb, and climb your way out one, one, one handful at a time. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And at some point yeah. you start getting perspective and then, you know, you start sitting where I am not perfect in this program. That's not what I'm saying by saying this, but when I'm wondering if I should have another cup of coffee or not, mm-hmm. if that's a little bit, you know, am I chasing something? Yeah. Which is a quite a different problem to have. Yeah, no, and I, and I think it's, uh, I think then what we're, you know, what we're interesting is, in, interestingly talking about here is, is progressively shifting the bar up. It's like, and, and your end state of where you want to get to isn't necessarily what, you, you might not just start with that. You might just go, okay, let, let's, let's, and it does say it in the green book, actually, you know, start with the behaviors that, you know, really cause you shame, that are harmful to others and are really harmful to yourself. To your point, start like that really thoughts, harmful, right? that if you yeah. go to clubs and you do really harmful stuff, maybe just yeah. do stuff at home then, that's fine. And then we yeah. off. but again, sponsor work is kind of where all this exists, isn't it? Or where it has to be done. Yeah, and I think a lot of it is around contextual stuff as well. And uh, and so there's other bits that, you know, often people kind of come in and go, oh, look, I, I, I engage in certain types of, sexual behavior so like i might do like kind of bondage or pain stuff and like people kind of like should that be in there it's like i don't know how do you feel about it and if you're not sure how you feel about it go drive for 90 days go drive for 90 days and then calibrate because you you probably don't know how to calibrate so just just take it out and figure it out yeah i mean it's the honesty piece if you're actually honest with yourself everyone knows what they're feeling all the time really but it's i mean if you're dishonest it kind of shifts it a bit makes it noisy i i would say and i would I would just maybe have a slightly different lens on it and personal perspective is I think you always know deep down, but I don't think we can always see it. And and certainly when I've been acting out, I couldn't see, I didn't really know how I felt. And like I started to kind of dry out and my emotions were all over the place. And I, I didn't really know how I felt about stuff. I had to learn that and I had to dry out. I had to stop using sex and that kind of, you know, lust, the general thing of, I had to just dry out from that. So actually I could calibrate because I was numbed out, right? Like we talk about in the text, I was numbed out and I was just hyper-focused on anything sexual and, and I couldn't calibrate anything outside. I, I, I just didn't reference it very well. It's um, it's a good point. I, I, I remember it, I, looking back, I can see I had all the feelings. I just didn't know how to, you know, process them, how to see them. But I still don't feel like I was numbed out in the same way. There was a lot of feelings, but I, I now I've taken a numbness away over recovery. So now, now I see all the feelings back then. I remember one specific one. I was laying in a bed somewhere. It was early mornings after work in a random person's house. I felt lonely. I was just like, and I, I didn't know it then. It was just like this feeling of, ooh, I don't like this. I don't know what's going on. I felt alone in the world in a bed with someone else who I quote unquote conquered that night, right? Which Mm -hmm. was one of the things that fueled me. And it's, it's just kind of looking back now with a little bit more perspective. Now I see what I felt, but I had the feelings back then. I just didn't know what it, what it meant. Do you know what I mean? 
So that's where I'm yeah, kind of coming from. But I, I see, I see yeah. what you're saying. Yeah, I think so. And, and I, I think my, I think what I would feel actually is I'd feel the extremes of the emotions. I wouldn't, and uh, they would kind of come very quickly. They would catch me by surprise. They'd be very volatile. I'd be very up and down. And what I found actually is I, you know, as I say, I've kind of dried out. Is I'm much more aware of very subtle stuff that I was not aware of at all, and 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 things are less overwhelming, and actually it's more yeah. it's more of an even roller coaster, and stuff feels more manageable, and and so it's I think I was overlooking an awful lot of stuff because the only thing that got my attention was was the nuclear bombs going off over there, like oh that got my attention, all these other little things like birds tweeting, you know, door slamming, like didn't none of that got my attention because it wasn't it wasn't over the noise effectively. That's fair. But from one thing to another, if you don't mind me shifting a little bit, please. What does your outer circle look like? What's the good things? Going oh, on in you your know life? what? I, um, I let, let me just say just a couple of things on middle circle, and then I'll come to outer circle. Which are um, for middle circle for me is harboring resentments, harboring fears, lots of stuff like repeated late nights, not taking care of myself, a lot of emotional stuff now, which I never used to have. In and, and actually, if anything has changed most it's my middle circle and also my outer circle which when it took me about six months i'm not kidding six months to actually find something really that was an outer circle because i didn't know i did lots of stuff that i thought i should do lots of stuff that i thought i ought to that was a good thing for me to do but i didn't want to do it really like it was like oh learn stuff and go practice things and, and i even going to the gym I didn't go to the gym because I really wanted to. I was going really driven for egoic reasons or I felt I, I ought to and I should do and, uh, you know, I need to take care of my health. You know, so I, I, there was a lot of judgment around actually really knowing what I like doing. And so that took, that took about six months. It, it, it really surprised me at how I, when I really questioned it, did I really know what I wanted in my circle? And that, I'm really glad to say there are things in my circle now. It's... Um... I share your experience coming in because there's people like externally, there's a lot of things you should be liking, right? I, I put long hikes. I like a hike when I'm on it. I do four hikes here. Mm. Like, I think I like it so much. I got all the hiking gear in my closet, right? Yeah. But mine is not. It's like, if I can read a couple chapters of a book, big win, huge win. If I can make myself a dinner that isn't just like a big slab of protein and some carbs that has like tons of greens in it and it's fairly, fairly nutrient dense, that's a big win. If I can go get fresh air a couple times a day, that's a big win. And it's, it's all those small things that really do add up throughout the week. Like that, those big things that I feel like sometimes people put in, they just made me feel like I wasn't doing it right. You know, oh, why am I not? Do why am I failing? Well, First of all, like life's busy. If you can make a good dinner every day, then you drink quite well, I'd say. Yeah, and it's, it's it, I guess it's a distinct, I think well, you may be making a distinction of stuff that you actually might feel good about afterwards or you might feel good about yourself rather than, is that the same as an outer circle? Is, is that stuff you want to do, that you really want to do and think? Now, you might feel good afterwards. Like, I go to the gym, I'm going to feel good afterwards. But do I really like going to the gym? Actually... I've no, I don't. I actually really don't like squatting. I hate squatting. I really hate you say that, but my, <laughs> I got a term for that. It's kind of that's my that's my admission price for life. And there's some things I gotta do, and there's some things I want to do. But mm -hmm. I can't just live a life of indulgence. There is, I I go to the gym because mm -hmm. I want to have a strong body. Because 
I don't want to waste it. I used to play American football, right? So it's like, oh, I don't want to waste it now. That'd be such a shame, yeah. all that work. And it feels good when I do it. You know, you kind of win every time you go in. And Don't, don't get me wrong. I, I am not proposing that no, no, your, no, I, your, your life becomes a hedonistic lifestyle of indulgence. Um, I, I think I was just maybe pointing out that there were I had lots of things that were originally in my inner circle, which were things like going to the gym, uh, learning languages, um, studying for this, you know, d- doing certain things like, you know, and I looked at this like, do I, I, I'm doing, those are things that I know are good for me. And it's the adult bit of studio. You, 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 you ought to do that studio because it's a, res, it's the responsible thing to do. But what do I like doing? What do I enjoy doing? And do I even, I like the fact I didn't even have line of sight of what those things were. So that's, and so I'd filled it up with stuff that is the responsible adult thing to do, which isn't bad. That's, that's not a bad thing to do, but I just, I didn't have anything that I liked. And it just took me a long time to figure that out. I'm glad you share that. I don't know if I've ever looked at my outer circle with that lens. I don't think I have. Mm. It's been one of those auto, auto exercise, right. you know? I'm going to have to remind myself what's in there. Um, what's in there? Uh, cooking, actually. like, and, and, and I don't mean just like cooking at a normal, regular meal. Like, you know, I just mean Look, doing something. You're good at cooking. You've never had one of my meals. But I haven't, but I've seen the photos. They're very aesthetically pleasing. <laughs> um, skiing. I, I, I really, really like skiing. And it's like I've come to it as a, you know, as a bit of an old adult. But, you know, I really love skiing and just doing kind of – But and then also kind of I do have sport and exercise in my outer circle, but it's kind of like the fun stuff. So, like, you know, I went bouldering the other day and – you know, I'm terrible at bouldering, but it's just a bit of fun. And I'm not doing it to because I'm trying to achieve anything or trying to get excellent at it. Just playing around, hanging off stuff, falling off. Bit of fun, you know? Yeah, I, I need to borrow your lens then because, say, I mentioned hiking. I have that relationship with hiking. When I'm on it, I feel peaceful. I feel mm. so at home. But it's just... Get, I, I, it's obviously like shifting out of the busy you know, like New York lifestyle yeah. and then going into it's such a contrast in my head but mm. say if I go to a cabin and it's like a lot of snow like after a couple of days you hear your own heartbeat that's quite mm. a cool experience but it's hard to get into it how do you do that you know when you want to go skiing do you ever struggle with that that shift of actually getting the ski pass and you know planning it out and going no, no, absolutely not. And th- this is why I think it, that is a real outer circle for me because it's like oh, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm off next weekend. I'm going nine days skiing in Italy, which I'm just like, I'm oh, just so excited. I've already packed, you know, and it's like I, I, I'm just really, really looking forward to it. I got like, you know, but that's different. For example, meditation gets me out of a lot of middle circle stuff of around excessive thinking or thought spirals or isolating and that kind of type of stuff. And um, going to meetings gets me out of my isolation, which is also a middle circle. Like disconnecting from people is a middle circle canary. Like, like I look at middle circle as, you know, what what are my uh, canaries in the mind, or like what are my alarm bells? You know, my early warning signal. Um, and meditation is great for that type of stuff. Going on meetings, but that's not outer circle. It's good program stuff. I know I need to do it, but it's not outer circle. I don't go. Oh, I really want to get up and meditate today. And I occasionally I feel like, oh, I really could feel like a meditation, but. It's not quite the same, you know, and um, so, yeah, um, doing a bit of art, occasionally doing a bit of dancing, but I've got to be in the right mood for it. And I'm not a a lot. It's funny, actually, a lot of the outer circle stuff I'm terrible at. I'm actually not. I mean, maybe, okay, cooking, I'm not not a bad cook. But a lot of the (laughs) other stuff is actually I'm I'm not great at it at all. I'll tell you another one I actually I've just put in recently is um, playing Lego with the girls, my kids. 
that's an, I, I, I'll spend hours with them playing Lego stuff and building princess castles. And it's like, I, I love it. I really, really like doing it. I don't, I don't, it's not something I feel I ought to do. It's not something I feel that is good for me. And that's why I do it. I do it just because I enjoy it. And I don't matter how good I am at doing it or not. I, I don't have to force myself to do it. You know, I'm, I'm glad you brought this angle on it because I, I was thinking about something yesterday. So my wife's currently out of town and I was, I was feeling a bit lonely. So I, you know, I went to, I went to the park next door late at night because it's, just a lot of people out. It's a lot of music. It's like something's happening. I just have to sit at home. And I was sitting there and be like, hmm, I don't really have any go-to stuff in life that fulfills me at mm. this current point in time. But what also occurred to me is I wouldn't have known how to say that to myself without recovery. Because what would I have done? Is I would have gone to a bar. I would have hooked up with someone. But instead, I'm sitting in a park having a cup of coffee, arguably too late, uh, which kept me up all night. But mm -hmm sitting there and just thinking hmm, i feel a little bit unfulfilled that's uncomfortable that's okay mm. because what do i need to do then or what am i missing right now now asking really good questions didn't find a whole lot of good answers but the dialogue's there i find that's also really fun in recovery it's mm. kind of kind of to your point you know discovery of self without feeling shame of not knowing myself it's kind mm. of nice yeah well, I, I, I think I think that's all my notes. Um, what else did I have? Uh, the, the only one I think I, we didn't cover cover, which was just um, things around like romantic fantasy and novels and things like that. And, and I just say that because um, I think over fifty percent of our listeners are now women, which is which is really interesting. Which I statistic I saw the other day and uh, on our podcast, and um, I noticed that probably women more than men will engage in things like romantic novels and fantasy and that type of stuff and um i don't mean a novel that just has a bit of thing but it's like you know 50 shades of gray kind of like like that that, that would be a romantic indulgent novel and if you're engaging in that, that i i would say maybe yeah consider it let as a me, yeah, let me share something with you so i mm. i read the erotica i i kind of i like it mm. but it's i used in the past to i used other actors like that i might not have access to etc like to visualize mm. now i often see my wife in it it's quite nice mm. because it can it can be a nice jolt for me first of all to get out of reading nonfiction. i read a lot of nonfiction because i feel like i'm expected to read a lot and yeah you know nonfiction is one of those pressure putting young younger male adults mm. so it's like it's fun to get out of it reminds me that my wife is quite attractive hmm, maybe i can do something nice for her today maybe i can make her feel like she wants to be in the mood. Now, there's a lot of, there's been a lot of fun consequence coming from that because suddenly I find myself cleaning the apartment. I take away a lot of stressors. I do all those nice things. And suddenly, mm. you know, she, she's kind of, she meets me halfway there. And I don't know, it, there's both good and bad, but it's a slower medium. I don't know. It doesn't feel harmful in the same way. I would... It, 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 it's, it's, it's probably not the same as I mean not all bottom lines of the same degree of harm um, but you know I, I would maybe share so, someone shared in a meeting once and they said that they'd had a couple of years sobriety and they started to have fantasies uh, about their wife and they thought it's fine I'm in a committed relationship it's my wife you know we're intimate with each other I can have these fantasies that's not where it stopped that's where it started so they start to indulge in fantasy and thing. And then not much long later, about three months later, they had a relapse. And they like, okay. that's where it was because it started my wife and then his wife with other people and the, and it went. And so 
let me contextualize. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I see what you mean. So this is not me starting to think, oh, maybe if my wife slept with someone else and I watched, that'd be super fun. This is like super spy in, you know, like 007 sort of vibe. It's a bit different. It's like, okay. this is, this is like, this mm-hmm. isn't in the realm of reality. Um, or it can be like, what? I think my wife had a few books on like vampires. That's not my thing. But it's just, it's like, we're not in the real world. We're not, I'm not thinking about how I can have my wife, you know, stop by the neighbors before she comes here mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. that doesn't feel healthy. Talking no, about I, that. I, I, so I, I see where you're coming from, but it's not me wanting to use my wife to fulfill me. Yeah. It's like, but it's it is, a fun but read. It, but it is also, fa- I, I, so, I, so I take your point completely. Um, what I would say though is, or maybe just another angle on that is that, that it is fantasy. And it isn't real and it's sexual fantasy but it's sex and, with self and that's very real it's and that's a bit different again and nuances it is and so yeah uh, i mean it's some of this stuff is it's really not black and white and so i understand why people really struggle with these circles and um i think the only kind of thing i say is let you know you just you just got to calibrate over time and just be really honest with yourself and your sponsor because as well as like if you're honest with a sponsor or like you know you know trusted father something like that where you can really help calibrate and bring yourself out yourself and um i think i think that can help keep you honest sometimes yeah and i mean it's a learning experience you, you learn about yourself as you go along and then kind of to your point you learn what works and doesn't and that's mm-hmm. kind of part of this journey isn't it but at least now there's a framework there's a structure there that kind of keeps things sort of sane well, uh, well, and you know what, one, one of the things, you know, and this has been a really a bit of a lively debate and, I, and I've really enjoyed it, actually, because it just surfaces just how much richness and how many different like, and we were quite aligned on a lot of lot of topics, actually. And I didn't hadn't appreciated just um, we, 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 we kind of had some different perspectives on things. So that's, that's kind of really interesting. Um, but what what is OK for one person might not be OK for someone else. And um that's that's a really important thing because what I'm expressing is what kind of works for me, what might work for sponsors or for, for other people. But it also, as a, as we kind of open up with, like this might not work for you, and if it doesn't, do what works, right? Because you you know work your recovery program in the way that works best for you, not for someone else. Because at the end of the day, I mean, it's your own happiness, right? Yeah, and you've got you know at the end of it, yeah. The, the other thing as well is that. Our sexual expression is around about healthy boundaries. Fundamentally, it's about a healthy boundary between uh, t- two people, and or, or maybe more, as we talked about earlier. But, but um, let's stick to two. <laughs> let's just stick with two because it, it's complicated. And, and so, understanding, you, you know, one of one of the problems or challenges that I've had in sex addiction is just really understanding what my boundaries because I've not had good boundaries. I've not had good sexual boundaries, and I don't know a sex addict. Who, who has said, oh, I've, I've always had good, healthy relationships and boundaries. Of course you don't. So, you- I, I resonate deeply with that. I, I really, really, really do. And I, I can see a lot in my own life, sex has changed because yeah. I'm starting to, there's a lot of times I did it and I wasn't in it. My head was going elsewhere. You know, you just, yeah. I just stop doing, stop doing it when that happens. It's, it's not the point of it. It's a connection exercise, isn't it? Really like for deep, meaningful connection at the end of yeah. the day. And if it's not deep, more meaningful, and it's not meant to be. Yeah, uh, and and I think I think ultimately you've you what what effectively your bottom and in the, the distinction between your your middle and your middle circle and your bottom lines and your inner circle is is what are the boundary what are the boundaries that you want to draw for yourself in terms of your body 
your connection and intimacy with others. What do you want to share? What do you not want to share? What are you comfortable sharing? What are you not comfortable sharing? How do you want to be intimate or connected with people? And be truthful to that around what is really good and healthy for you. And that is different for everyone. So It is. I, I think I'm recognizing on the back of this conversation, I need to walk away. And I, I came into the program being like, I think my wife set a lot of the boundaries and they, they were all very healthy. So I latch on to them, right? I've never looked at my bottom lines in a similar way. Be like, where's the respect for myself? Mm. And that's oh. a really, really interesting way of putting it. Because right now I'm sitting here like kind of going through and checking through and be like, no, all that is stuff that would make my wife leave, but also keeps my life coincidentally fairly well put together. It's a really interesting point, actually, about what is, you know, as a sex addict, I've, I've really just ignored my own boundaries. Actually, I had boundaries and I just ignored them because I just, my, my addict just steamrolled over all of them. And yeah. so I did stuff that I actually didn't really want to do. I did, I, I got into, into kind of sexual activities that I actually didn't enjoy and I didn't like, but I did it anyway. And, uh, you know, and it's, it's not also, it's also not uncommon to hear sex addicts saying, well, you know, I, like, I, I'm, I'm heterosexual, but I kind of been with other men or trans or whatever it is. And that's really common as well. And, um, and also I think, you know, I've heard many women as well talk about not basically engaging sexuality that, that their partner wants, right? Because that's what their partner wants. And they, you know, and, and I think part of learning in this program is really understanding our own boundaries about what we want or, or what we're comfortable with and what we feel safe with and what we feel is healthy. And, and that can change as well over time as well. Of course it does, like everything else does. It's a journey. Mm -hmm. It is. Uh, well, so uh, I really enjoyed that. That was that was fun. At least it was for me, anyway. It was. <laughs> cool. Uh, I'm gonna great. I'm gonna I'm gonna relook at my bottom lines and my middle circle and stuff because because I it's it's been a really helpful and interesting discussion. So thank thank thanks so much for for engaging in it. It's, it's really nice. Likewise, it's always a pleasure. Take care, Chris. Until next time. We'll speak soon.